there's a reason why sex is taboo in every single culture. There's a reason why it's not talked about. It's because it's scary as fuck. It's vulnerable as hell to talk about this stuff. There's so much room for shame and blame and shrinking and, and whatever it might be. It's really rife for it. So there's actually no way to dive in the erotic arts in a way that's completely safe. There's no way to dive into the erotic arts in a way that you won't get hurt in some way. And the same things that make it a breeding ground for shame and vulnerability are the same things that make it a breeding ground for liberation and freedom. It's so vulnerable to touch that yearning that I think sometimes we try to skate beyond it with performance. And that's a certain performance over the top of like what's actually really tender and really vulnerable, which is the yearning to reach out and connect and to touch and to be touched. And that when your sex is fueled from that yearning to touch and be touched and to feel each other, there's so much more depth available. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Today, we're diving into a very special episode with Megan Lambert and James Mattingly. In this conversation, Megan and James will teach us about the role of polarity in creating attraction and desire, what leads couples to put intimacy on the back burner, how to rekindle the spark in long-term relationships after it's been lost, the importance of getting out of your head and into your body, aka how to be in existence as more than just a brain on a stick, and how to celebrate love and pleasure this Valentine's Day. Megan Lambert and James Mattingly are both coaches, speakers, teachers, and facilitators. Megan primarily focuses on helping women reclaim their desires and embrace their sexuality, while James helps people discover their genius and create a path to their unique purpose. Together, they love to support couples. They are intimacy experts and fanatics constantly learning and exploring how to have a deeper, more passionate love affair for themselves and then support other couples in creating their own dream relationship. They believe that passion doesn't have to fade and that couples can grow over time and become their best selves together. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to share really quickly that if you are a woman who is craving community, connection, and sisterhood, I am leading a women's retreat in Puglia, Italy from June 1st until the 8th, 2024. And I'm not leading this retreat alone. I'm actually going to be leading it with a former guest of this podcast, Chrissy Constable. If you haven't listened to my episode with Chrissy on the microbiome and gut-brain access, it's pretty mind-blowing. And in this week-long retreat together, Chrissy and I will be teaching yoga, meditation, breathwork, nidra. I'll be doing some coaching and lead a neuroscience-based manifestation workshop. Chrissy will lead some deeper dives into traditional Chinese medicine, microbiome health, and body reading. And if all of that hasn't been enough to convince you, let me remind you again that this retreat is going to be taking place in Italy. So we're talking pizza, we're talking pasta, we're talking all of the delicious Italian carbohydrates. To learn more and save your spot, head over to loveyogaspace.com slash Puglia. At the time of recording this episode, there are only three rooms left. So to save yours, head over to loveyogaspace.com slash Puglia or click the link in the show notes. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me, Megan and James. I am so excited to have you both on here because this episode is going to be so unlike anything that any of the listeners have ever experienced before. First and foremost, because I've never actually interviewed two people at the same time. 
And we've never dove into something quite in the realm of what we're going to be diving into today in terms of polarity work, intimacy, and setting listeners up for a very nerdy and hopefully a very dirty Valentine's Day. So thank you both so much for being willing to come on here with me. Yeah, I love thank that. to be here. So happy to be here. So I would love if we could begin just by hearing a little bit more about where your personal and professional journeys started in the realms of conscious sexuality, intimacy, and relationship coaching. Do we want to introduce ourselves or should I introduce you and you introduce me? Sure. <laughs> okay. I'll introduce James. James began his professional career selling diamonds on cruise ships, speaking in front of hundreds of people <laughs> about jewels and diamonds. And then he realized, although it was really fun to do that kind of public speaking, he didn't care so much about jewels and diamonds. So went to Bali to figure out what might be next for him, as people do, and then did a yoga teacher training and then decided he was going to open up a yoga studio. And didn't do that, but ended up staying and leading yoga teacher trainings for seven years and has led thousands of people through deep month-long inner transformation work. And while he was doing that, learned about masculine feminine dynamics, followed the works of David Data, among others, and yeah, got really into polarity and conscious sexuality. And then we met five years ago and have since been teaching it together. Pretty good. Yeah. And I would say his specialty is deep embodiment, breath, and still presence. I think she did that, but I did. That's why I did it. <laughs> it's always easier to brag about someone else. And for Megan, I think her journey started at one point when she was a self-professed brain on a stick. Megan was very good at going out and doing what she needed to do and accomplishing and achieving both through university or college and through her work life, she was very successful, but she really felt something was missing. And that all changed one day when she saw a flyer on a door that had a particular Venn diagram. What was on the Venn diagram? It said wellness in one circle and sex in the other and orgasm in the middle. And I was like, what are they doing? That looks interesting. So she dove right in, was with an organization you may have heard of called OM. And one Taste. One Taste, sorry. But OMing was the practice. And... She went very, very deep in this practice and realized that she was so much more than a brain on a stick. She was a body alive with pulsating erotic zest for life and the world. And she got a very, very deep, deep education on what it was to, to follow desire and to understand direction on a soul level more than just a talking and words level. This all led her to a moment of thinking of Bali and crying for no discernible reason she could. She would think about Bali and she would cry. Confiding this into a fantastic mentor of hers, she said, just follow that desire. She came to Bali, met me a week later or two weeks later, and we've been together ever since. But it's because of her very deep, deep dive in the world of sexual arts, in the world of expressing desire and helping hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women since do the same through retreats and coaching, that when we met, we had this language that we could speak and meet one another on the same level. What I miss. I think that sounds great. 
I love the description of you, Megan, as a brain on a stick because that has so not been my experience of you. <laughs> like you're so whole and so full and so, yeah, so in your body. And I also know that a lot of the listeners of this podcast are so analytical and so in their heads. And I would assume and guess that many of them are self-proclaimed brains on a stick as well. And I would actually love, Megan, if you could speak a little bit more to why that can be problematic as it pertains to our connection to our own desire. Yeah, it's huge. I think for me, the brain on the stick was like, my orientation towards the world was like, what should I be doing? You know, what would get the accolades or the praise or the pro-con list? What's expected of me or analyzing what I should do? But what I was really missing was the deep body-based wisdom that can only come from feeling access to my gut, my pussy, my heart. And without that, it was almost like I felt like I wasn't really living my own life. Do you know that feeling? Yeah, and as I got more connected with my body and my heart and my pussy and my gut, it was like I could just start to feel when things felt good and when they didn't. And I started to trust that intuition and to follow the things that felt good and the things that resonated with me. And that made all the difference. I really feel like in a lot of ways, that's what shifted me from girl to woman. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And something really struck me in what you just said in terms of feeling really good or something not feeling good, feeling resonant or not resonant. And when James was explaining this experience you had of thinking about folly and immediately crying, I think it's very easy for people to make the association between tears and bad. So I would love if you could share a little bit more about the emotionality that can come through when we are on the spot or very resonant with what our desire actually is. Yeah. There was this great quote I was reading yesterday and it's like, clarity disrupts, find it anyway. And I think for me, when I I was meditating and asking, you know, the universe, my body, where am I being called to go next? And I thought of Bali and the reason it made me cry and I also had goosebumps all over and chills was because I felt such a longing for something I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I think that that's one of the biggest ways our body speaks to us is through these sensations of the goosebumps, the tears, the sweaty palms. And this is one of the ways that our body reveals what are we actually longing for? You know, not what makes sense, what's the right thing to do, what's expected, but like, what is their heart and our body asking for, craving, or yearning for? And that that's a really important kind of wisdom. I think especially if you're a feminine being, it's almost like that's the magnet that turns off. And I don't know if either one of you wants to answer this. I've never interviewed two people at the same time. So I'm like, who do I direct the questions to? But how is connection to that, to physical sensation, to that desire of longing, how does that translate to our sexuality and our ability to create dynamics where we do feel really sensationalized and turned on? You take the slip? In many ways, the analogy would be porn versus genuine connection. So a lot of what people learn about sex and sexuality, especially in this latest generation, is what comes from porn. The way it should look, the way that it should feel is this overly performative, disconnected, 
from emotion, disconnected from spirit, disconnected from your senses, look the way it should be. And I think so many people go about sex and intimacy as a way that it should be. Whereas in reality, deep connection and intimacy could look like not moving at all. We've had so many couples that we've worked with where literally just sitting them down and having them gaze into one another's eyes and then breathe together has them feel a depth of connection and a level of emotion that they haven't felt in years. And I think a lot of it comes back to that yearning that you were speaking of. It's like, it's so vulnerable to touch that yearning that I think sometimes we try to skate beyond it with performance. So, you know, make, like as James was saying, like make the right moan or do the right position or, you know, be the best lover. And that's a certain performance over the top of like what's actually really tender and really vulnerable, which is the yearning to reach out and connect and to touch and to be touched. Mm -hmm. And that when your sex is fueled from that yearning to touch and be touched and to feel each other, there's so much more depth available and so much more authenticity that's available. So that brings up the question for me of what is happening in long-term partnership when one or both people in a relationship lose touch with that yearning or feel like it's died or feel like there isn't that desire to touch or be touched? What leads to disconnect from yearning itself and from the other partner? Such a good question. So many things. <laughs> There's different levels. Yeah. One that came to mind for me is like resentment is a huge one. So any spot where you got hurt or you felt dismissed or you got disrespected and you don't name it and heal it, it will start to build this invisible wall between you two. And when the invisible wall starts to build, there's less of that magnetic pull towards each other because there's this wall coming up. And you won't feel it necessarily. Like it won't feel like, oh, I'm so hurt. I'm so mad. It'll just feel like I don't really want to connect with you. I don't like, I just don't feel that interested in you. Right. And then that's a sign that there's a wall of resentment or hurts or unsaid things that have built up between the two of you. So a lot of our work with long-term couples is like, how do you brick by brick take that wall back down so that you feel the genuine desire to be close again? Yeah, I was listening to a, a great podcast yesterday. Actually, it was a TED Talk on parenting. And it was one of those catchy titles, like the single biggest tool you need to know as a parent. But I really liked what they said. And the, the biggest thing as a parent to know or tool is repair like how to repair when there's a disconnect. And I can't help but feel it's the same in relationship. So of course, resentments are going to come up. Distance is going to come up. Hurt feelings is going to come up. But how quickly and how effectively is the wrong word, but skillfully can you come back into connection? How well can you repair is a great barometer of connection. And I think when we first heard this question, like why does the spark die down? James and I both went to polarity and masculine feminine dynamics, which is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Right? Like, are you able to animate a masculine feminine energy so there's an electric charge between you two, which creates attraction? Yeah. But I think almost even more foundational that we've seen over the years is this piece around like resentment and unsaid things. Yeah. I mean, one of my dad's crass sayings come into my head. If you just go to the polarity, it's a little bit like putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. <laughs> In that. In our retreats, what we do first is deal with unsaid resentments and repair and teach repair, and then we move into polarity because 
what so often happens is when you get rid of the muddiness of the water, which comes from disconnectant, disrepair, once you clear that out, actually clarity arises spontaneously. There's not too much you have to do. One of the things that I love so much about Valentine's Day is that it is one of the few days a year where the vast majority of people who are in long-term partnership are really carving out time to be with each other and be present with each other. And I know that we're very privileged to live in a community here in Bali where love dates are something that are a regular occurrence. But if there is a couple that's listening out there, because the majority of listeners are not here with us in Bali who needed to start doing some repair work in order to come back together in intimate connection, where do we even begin with that? Where do we even begin with voicing our resentments and brick by brick taking that wall apart? Well, I probably wouldn't do it on Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Start it now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I would say if you're interested in repair, it's really, really challenging to do it yourselves for the first time in particular. It's a bit of a forest for the trees things, and it's doubly so if only one partner is interested in doing it. It's possible. It's just more challenging. Yeah. So that being said, best would be to have a coach or a therapist, someone to help you. Um, if you don't have that, there's a process I love from Alison Armstrong celebrating partnership called Healing the Masculine and Healing the Feminine. And we actually teach it on our retreats as well. And it's a really simple process of like one person explaining where they got hurt and why and the other person listening and then apologizing. And then you take turns back and forth until that spot feels clear. So I love that process because of its simplicity. You don't have to spend hours analyzing and processing. And and I think that's one of the reasons couples don't talk about things is because they feel like if they do go into it, they're going to get stuck. And a lot of the reason that they get stuck is because they don't have simple tools on how to talk about things without taking it personally and digging the hole deeper or building the wall higher, whatever metaphor we're using. I can already see so clearly a past version of myself who would absolutely detest having to apologize for something that I did not want to take responsibility for if my partner came to me with a resentment. So is a practice like this something where the partner who's doing the apologizing for any period of time is just kind of like biting their tongue in terms of the defensiveness that might want to come up or the justification of behavior or whatever it may be like how do we be with the resentments that our partners may be vocalizing without jumping to any of those things or is it okay to jump into any of those things such a good question And I would definitely point listeners to the way Alison Armstrong breaks it down in that book because it's so brilliant and she answers this exact question. But the way I would explain is you're apologizing for the impact your actions had. Not necessarily like I'm apologizing for what I did. You don't mean to hurt each other necessarily, right? But it happens. So for example, James says he's going to be home at six o'clock. I have dinner ready. I'm so excited to see him. He gets caught up, he comes home at 6.15, and I'm pissed, right? And I'm hurt under that anger. He probably has a really good reason why he's home late. Like maybe his scooter ran out of gas or something, right? But it actually doesn't address the fact that like I feel really hurt in that moment and his actions have hurt me, right? So what he could apologize for is like, you know, I'm really sorry that I'm late 
and knowing that his actions had an unintended consequence. Yeah. And I mean, there's to me a distinction between repair and apologizing as well. Apologizing can sometimes shut it down. It can be like, hey, I'm really sorry I'm late, but there was a lot of traffic. That shuts down this conversation. That doesn't actually address how she's feeling. I might have had a really legitimate reason to be late, traffic or some other reason. But instead, I can repair, which would be something like, hey, I see that I'm 15 minutes late and that you've gotten this beautiful dinner together. That must have been really frustrating. Next time, I'll make sure I send a message if I'm going to be late. There's a difference between the two. And what he did in the second one that was so beautiful is he acknowledged what it must have been like for my experience. And that's the essence, I think, of repair is both people want to be seen and understood inside of that painful moment. And so in what he just said is he imagined what it would have been like to be me, you know, and that helps me feel seen and that has me feel want to be closer to him. That's immediately, I think, a bridge back to connection as opposed to the disconnect that comes from jumping to self-defense and justification and trying to convince the other person that it wasn't actually what they thought it was and all those other things. So yeah, I love this example. I think it's going to be super helpful for me personally and also for listeners. And you mentioned that the second step after repair is beginning to look at masculine feminine dynamics and polarity. And the last two episodes of this podcast have been individually on masculinity with Ryan Miller and femininity with Kelly Bodie. And in neither one of those episodes, we've really dove in into what polarity work is. And James, I read your ebook, Polarity, A Definition for Lovers, and I thought that it was the most well-explained definition of polarity I've read so far. So I would love if you could share with listeners as well what polarity is defined as for you and why that's so important in fostering more passionate connection. Sure, thanks. The way that you can think about polarity is the same way you can think about a magnet, I guess. You know, a, a positive and negative creates attraction and positive and positive doesn't, it repels. And the same is true in relationship. It's a new term. You might have to take a leap of faith to believe me on this. But a way you can think about it is think about if you've been in a relationship for five years, think about the way you interact with your partner now as opposed to your first date. There's a good chance on your first date you were, you were dressing up, you were making sure that you look good, you were courteous, you were acting in a certain way because there's this anticipation, there's an excitement, there's unknown things. You go certain lengths. To, to greet this being, and it would create a certain level of attraction. And this is what polarity is. It comes from difference. When it comes to masculinity, it's a certain energy that has certain traits. And if both partners are running through that particular energy, it can be fine. It just doesn't create attraction. So Megan and I need to get out the door because Lila has to go to school. It's totally fine to be like, talking about logistics and talking about left brain stuff and say, get the diapers and get the bag and do it. It's just not very sexy. And that's totally okay. Another thing could be we're sitting on the couch and we're saying, what do you want to order? I don't know. We had Chinese. Oh, we had Indian. And again, it's just fluid and it's fun and it could be really loving and playful and a watching movie. It's just not very sexy. So polarity comes in by consciously bringing in a different energy and choosing to show up in a different way to your partner. And that's most likely the way that you showed up on that first date. 
And if you imagine the first date, there's probably one person who's more in the feminine, running feminine energy through their body, which is the one that's like getting dressed up and like being taken out and like being surprised, maybe um, following the lead, like laughing. And then there's someone who's maybe running more of the masculine energy that's like setting the tone and getting there on time and making sure the reservation is set. And, and those are just different energies. It's not gendered. I could be running masculine, you could be running feminine, vice versa. But the important thing is that there's difference between those two energies and that creates attraction. Amazing. I think that that was really well explained. And what I heard is that it's difference between the two people that ultimately creates attraction. And would you say that when we're in long-term relationship and the attraction begins to fade or it feels like the spark is kind of fizzled out, it's because both people are functioning from the same place, like from sameness, essentially, as opposed to difference and distance. Yeah. And sameness is really important. It's trustworthy. It's reliability. It's loyalty. Really important parts of a long-term relationship. Just not that sexy. Sexiness or polarity requires difference, newness, and variety. It doesn't require, but that big component. So you're exactly right. Couples that have been together for long are really used to certain ways of acting and behaving, and they tend to be the same ways. Yeah. But the good news is polarity is an art that you can learn. Anyone can learn. And then you just learn how to animate feminine or masculine energy and you can bring the spark back at any moment. And that's what I see with couples too, is it's like it's right there once you learn how to bring these energies into your body. Can we talk about some of the things that someone might be able to do to animate or activate these different energies inside themselves? Like what are some of the practices that you would give your clients or the people that you're coaching on retreats? If you want to feel more in your feminine energy, some things that help. Anything that gets you into your body, as you mentioned, and your sensuality. So dance is a great one. Self-pleasure is a great one. Rubbing massage oil and lotion on your body. Beauty is a really core aspect of the feminine. So creating beauty either on your own body through makeup and clothes and outfits, creating beauty in your space, decorating your home, anything that gets you in touch with your heart and your emotions. Like, how am I actually feeling right now? Do I feel sad? Do I feel angry? Do I feel happy? That's a really feminine aspect, your intuition. So these are a few ways that you can kind of like tap into your feminine. Of course, the best way I would say to get into your feminine is to be around other women and just like laugh and play. And like a girl sleepover is such a great example of getting into your feminine energy. So you just like talk all night and laugh. Maybe you do a face mask or you try on different clothes. Those are a few examples of dropping into that feminine. A masculine, in a couple of words, would be presence and direction. And perhaps it's easier to get the idea of this by giving an example where it wouldn't be there. So let's say I've said to Megan, let's go on a date on Friday night. That's pretty directive and say, let's do this thing Friday night. Friday night rolls around 8 p.m. I go to pick up for the date and I'm like, so where do you want to go? What do you want to do? <laughs> and the problem here is if I surrender direction and we still want to get something done, Megan has to pick up direction. So then she has to be directive, which pulls her out of a heart space and into her directive space or pulls her out of feminine and into masculine. 
So in that case, I've come on and go, oh, where do you want to go? I don't, I don't really know. Where do you want to go, honey? And she has to think about the places and think about how to get there and whatnot, which is very directive. And suddenly I've ceded some masculine energy to her and we're more equal rather than being directly polarized. Alternatively, I could come with my presence and my direction. I could say, you know, be ready at eight o'clock, make sure you're wearing that sexy red dress. And I show up and I say, come on, honey, we're going to that beautiful Italian place. I love the way that your eyes look and you can order whatever your heart desires and I will feed it to you spoon by spoon or whatever. It doesn't really matter as long as there's a direction <laughs> and a level of presence. Does that make sense if I give both both ways in the way that it would require a different energy from her if I didn't have a plan? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think it's something that so many people are going to be able to relate to listening to this right now. I would love if we could touch a little bit more on how to bring this into the bedroom, because a lot of what we've talked about so far, I think, could be utilized in any relational context, dating, just at home, in all of these moments leading up to intimacy in that way. And I'm curious if you can speak more to the necessity of polarity in the bedroom. I think one of the best ways to understand it is like, do you want to be the one ravishing or the one being ravished? Do you want to be the one that's surrendering or the one that's claiming and taking? Right? So the one that's surrendering and being ravished is more classically in the feminine energy. The other one is the masculine. And so one of the important things to know is like in any erotic setting, one person will be playing more masculine role and one would be playing more feminine. So if you want to be in a more feminine role in the bedroom, it looks like really listening to your body and your sensations and showing that through your face and your body. It's called being responsive. So it's like, say he pulls your hair and you love it, being like, mm. or he bites your neck and it's too hard and be like, ah, right? And so showing him through your face and your body what you're wanting and what you're liking. Of course, you can also just be direct and be like, it would feel so good if you touched my hips, right? And those are some ways to help guide the moment, but in a feminine way. Whereas if you're the masculine partner, what you're doing is you're more leading the moment and you're listening to her body and response and taking the lead based on the information you're picking up from her body. Yeah. Direction, not dominance. At BDSM, there's a lot of dominance and power play that's very sexy as well. But if you're talking about a regular thing, as the masculine pole, you are directing and you're aware of what's going on and perhaps where it's going, but you're leading from listening not leading from dominance. And I'm really curious because I can imagine that there would be some listeners out there who are like still perhaps thinking about this in a very gendered way or still thinking about this in a way where it's it can be quite confronting, I think, to talk about being ravished or being surrendered in that way. This idea of like letting go of control. And so their curiosity is peaked, but they're noticing a lot of resistance in themselves or a lot of fear around this type of polarity or dynamic. What would your encouragement for them be? I would just get so curious about the resistance. And I can relate like when I first learned about masculine feminine, I was like this take charge woman. You know, I was like president of all these organizations and so like to be in control. And I used to say, you know, I'm going to be the breadwinner. My husband will stay home and he'll take my last name. And I was a woman who knew what I wanted and I was very determined. And I remember reading this book by David Data, Way of the Superior Man. <laughs> and luckily someone had warned me. 
I would have to take my feminist hat off just to read it because otherwise I would want to throw the book across the room. But I took my feminist hat off and I read it and it actually brought me to tears. I felt so touched by some of the things I read in there and it spoke to this taboo longing inside of me that I didn't have any context for and didn't feel safe to admit longing to let go of control or longing to surrender or longing to to be ravished, to be claimed, to be taken. Like, But it was just true. Like I just felt it in my body. I was like, wow. And even now as I describe it, like I have goosebumps. And so I think, you know, it, it's not very socially acceptable. <laughs> it's pretty taboo. But I do think if a woman is listening to this or a man, anyone that's listening to this that feels that kind of longing to be ravished, I would just get curious about it or to let go of control. Like, what does that look like for me? Or like, how could I feel safe enough to explore this longing? Something that really helps that's on the practical side of things would be practice, not process. So when you learn a guitar, you don't look at the guitar and think about the guitar and learn all the ways to play and learn all of the chords and learn all of the instruments and then get ready to play the guitar. No, you practice. But you don't practice the guitar by picking it up and playing Jimi Hendrix. You learn the guitar by playing a chord and then another chord and then another chord and then you make music. So the sexual arts are exactly the same. So let's say your curiosity is peaked, but you have some resistance or some fear come up, then you play a game. You go to your partner and you can say, honey, I want to try something really sexy with you. Are you up for it? It only takes 20 minutes. He says, yeah, I love sexy things. And it's only 20 minutes. That sounds great. <laughs> so then you, and you put it. So this is one of the main ways we work with couples and there's many ways to do it. But perhaps one is you say, okay, for 20 minutes, I'd love for you to touch my body. And when you notice me make a pleasurable sound, keep touching that way. And if you notice me make a non-pleasurable sound, then change but I'm not going to say any words. And that's the game. Are you up for it? And that's a great way to practice a chord, you know. And that's practicing the art of responsiveness and sensitivity that we were talking about. And masculine feminine. I love it. Are there any other practices that you would give as a homework assignment to listeners if they were wanting to lean into this more? A million. And it <laughs> totally depends on the couple. Um, this is literally what we do. If we have a coach by the couple, each week they'll have a new practice and a new practice and a new practice and a new practice, and we still practice. So I want to give one really practical one that I want to hear. Okay. The base thing is going to sound really not sexy, but if you're in a long-term relationship, it's absolutely necessary, is that you schedule in a love date. You schedule in a time to be physically intimate. And when you look at your calendar... And you go, oh, that's a full day. Why don't we put at the end of a full day of work after a big meal at 11 p.m.? Seems like a horrible idea. So instead, you put it in a time, a day that you both have time and space to actually be there. It could be Tuesday at 2 p.m. or Sunday. So the first step for me is to create a time and a place, which is a container, and then decide what to practice. That's the masculine aspect, right? Because you can hear that's the structure. That's the time and the place. My game I'll give anyone listening is the feminine side, which is touching on desire and the spark of yearning or of wanting. And the practice is for each person, the couple, to find a sexy book passage or a TV show or a movie, something that had a moment of eroticism that turned you on and to share it with your partner mm-hmm. and to talk about what in that passage turned you on. So right now I'm reading Court of Thorn and Roses and there's so many sexy passages. 
wrap. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And so the practice would be to bring it to your partner during that love date and to let them read it or watch it. And then to share like what in that touched you or turned you on or might you want to try next. And this is a good way, especially if you've been together a long time, to bring something new into the bedroom. What if your partner feels insufficient because they can't shape shift into a wolf-like creature and ravage you with their <laughs> like they do in that book? Yeah, I, I am genuinely curious though because I do have I do have clients that really struggle with self-consciousness, for example, and self-comparison, right? So hearing, oh, this really turned me on may trigger for them this feeling of like insufficiency or, oh, that's what my partner wants, but that's so different from what I am. That's what turned them on, but that's so not how I am. Yeah, I'm curious how you can be on the receiving end of a really vulnerable share that your partner might be bringing to you, whether it's a court of thorns and roses and something a little less fairy-esque. It's such a good question. And I think that's why couples don't do this, because it's so vulnerable for both person. Like if you're the one sharing, it's really vulnerable. Like, am I about to be shamed for my sexual desires? If you're the person hearing, you might be like, Am I an inferior lover? I can't do that. So what I would say if you're on the receiving end of hearing someone else's desire is to just say thank you, first of all. And then if you can, to ask a question, to ask a question about your partner. So, you know, what about that scene turns you on? Or like, what's your favorite moment in that scene? Or how does that scene make you feel? Or what aspect of that scene would you want to do with me? Because what that does is it takes the tension off of them and their own self-consciousness and keeps it back on the person who's sharing the desire. And that can get you out of your own self for a moment enough to see your partner. Well said. I'd say also, I mean, there's a reason why sex is taboo in every single culture. There's a reason why it's not talked about. It's because it's scary as fuck. It's vulnerable as hell to talk about this stuff. There's so much room for shame and blame and shrinking and and whatever it might be is really rife for it so there's actually no way to dive in the erotic arts in a way that's completely safe there's no way to dive into the erotic arts in a way that you won't get hurt in some way so you have to be clear on why you want to you can totally have a sexless marriage you can totally have a passionless relationship it's okay to be best friends so if you want to do it you're going to be clear on why and the why is incredibly important and the same things that make it a breeding ground for shame and vulnerability are the same things that make it a breeding ground for liberation and freedom. We had a fascinating conversation with James's nephew, who's 18. We're talking about alcohol. And he's like, why do people like alcohol? And we're like, oh, maybe because it helps you be out of control. And then we're asking, like, how do you think you could be out of control without alcohol? And he said, vulnerability. Vulnerability. So brilliant. That is beautiful. Yeah, I think we're going to use that as the opening clip for this episode because that just really hits the nail on the head. And I feel like that's been an ongoing theme in the conversations I've been having on this podcast with both of you, with Vic, who both of you also know. It just seems like revealing your soul to somebody else over and over and over again is the requisite for deeper levels of connection emotional and physical intimacy and 
I want to go back to because we've we've taken so many twists and turns over this conversation. This episode is coming out on Valentine's Day. And I know that there's going to be a huge demographic of listeners who are not in long term partnership, who are either dating or are single, single who really enjoy the fact that they're single or single and really don't want to be single. And I'm curious if there are any solo practices you would recommend for listeners to have a super intimate, sexy Valentine's Day evening, even when it's solo. What Valentine's Day is, it's an invitation to celebrate love in all of its forms. And so if I were single on Valentine's Day, I think doing something for self-love would be beautiful, like a solo Valentine's Day date or an afternoon of self-care or some way to love myself. And then a way of loving the people in my life. So my friends or family or next door neighbor or the barista and just think about like, how could I bring love today? Like what could I do to share and spread love? And really for yourself because it feels great. And if you are single on Valentine's Day, it's a really great way to get out of any kind of like collapse that you might be feeling if you're wanting partnership and you're single is to put attention on other people and how you can bring some love. Yeah, that's great. I would say whether you're in a relationship or not, here's a really simple, beautiful practice. It comes from Walt Disney. You know, the Imaginarium. And Walt Disney, they have a few different rooms. One is the Imaginarium. You go in and you can say, any idea? Well, let's put a roller coaster to the moon. And everyone has to go, amazing. No one can say no. So you get all of these amazing ideas. And then you go into the red room and you talk about logistics and possibility. So what I'd say is a little imaginarium process. So you take 15 minutes and if you're in a relationship, you think about what you could do for your partner. If you're not, you think about what you could do for yourself or a loved one, as Megan said. And for 15 minutes, you just let yourself sink back and dream into the imaginarium of what could be possible on this day. And you write out 10 ideas, 100 ideas, 50 ideas. And you'll find that you'll be writing, 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 and maybe then you'll stop after five minutes and then you just sit until the time is done because more ideas will often come. And this is a great way to bring and introduce variety and newness, whether you're in a relationship with somebody else or yourself. I love it. Amazing. Thank you both so, so much for your willingness to come on here and share today. I know that you are, as one of my friends in Los Angeles would say, mad pregnant right now. (laughs) (laughs) Mad pregnant. And... When your second baby joins us in the world and when you do start hosting retreats and events again, what are the kinds of experiences that you like to facilitate for couples and for single people here in Bali or anywhere else in the world? And why would someone want to come join? I think our favorite thing to do in the whole world, well, besides a few other things, but one of our favorite things to do, (laughs) yeah. is to bring people together in person for tangible experiences as a group. And that's why we started doing retreats a couple of years ago. And, And so we bring together 10 couples from around the world to Bali and guide them through this four day experience of healing the hurts, sparking the polarity, rediscovering their devotion and their commitment to each other and leaving feeling so in love. And just watching couples take that journey again and again has been the most rewarding thing I've probably done in my work. It's been amazing. So I would definitely recommend our retreat. We don't have dates yet for next year because we're going to see how it goes with baby number two. 
but we do have a wait list. So if anyone's interested, I can make sure you have the link to the wait list. Um, and then beyond that, sometimes we take on coaching clients, um, depending, we have a number of other businesses and projects. Um, so we also do online coaching sometimes. And for the men, I lead with a good friend of mine, Jan, something called Warrior Camp, which is a retreat for men where we use transformational combat. We use boxing in order to create transformation. And we have one in May. Yeah. And then for any women, I have a book. Oh, yeah, your book. Yeah, I wrote a book about my erotic journey that goes deep into what I learned and then specific practices for each step of the journey. So if anyone's interested, I'll link that as well. I will make sure that all of those links are included in the show notes. And Jan is actually coaching me right now. And what I can say from personal experience is that he's not just super skilled at warrior camp coaching, but also many other things as well. And I actually know several couples who have gone through retreat experiences with both of you and can just share from my outside experience that the transformations I've seen them go through and the relationships that they have with each other now are really, really what I aspire to have. And that's also what I see in both of you. You know, you're such an expander for me personally in terms of what I want in my next relationship, whenever that may be. And I'm just so grateful that you carved out the time to talk nerdy to me today, especially given the fact that you're about to give birth any day now, baby. Before you go, I would love it if you would take 30 seconds to think about one person you know who would benefit from listening to this episode and share it with them. When you share this podcast on social media and tag me at Alex underscore Nashton on Instagram, it really helps get this information into the ears and brains of more listeners like you. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. Last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for tuning in again today and for your continued willingness to talk nerdy to me.